Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Legendarium podcast. I am Craig, your host, reminding you to go to thelegendarium.com where you can find uh, past episodes. You can find the link to Patreon. You can find the link to our Discord server where you can join in the conversation. And I think that there is going to be a lot of conversation to be had after an episode like this one because I'm joined by Summit Basu, who is uh, actually joining me from India. Welcome, Summit. Thank you, Craig. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. You've uh, been extremely accommodating with time zones and other such horrifying things, and I'm very excited <laughs> to be in this conversation today. Me too. I, I uh, this is you are you are our furthest geographical uh, guest so far, which I think wouldn't be hard. I don't think you can get much farther away uh, <laughs> than where you are. So. Uh, no, pleasure, pleasure to have you here, and always happy to work with time zones and whatnot. I, you know, I'm a night owl. I'll stay up however late I need to. It doesn't matter. So today's topic is uh, we're, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things, kind of areas of your expertise, um, a, or at least areas of emphasis, I would say. And the two things we're going to be talking about are, is uh, dystopian fiction. Uh, kind of as a just as a concept. What is it? Uh, you know, what does it mean to read it? What does it mean to write it? Uh, you know, what, what is dystopian fiction and why is dystopian fiction? I, I think uh, these are interesting questions. And then the other one is writing across different media or mediums or however we should say that. Because you write, and I, I wrote this down. Uh, let's see, you've got quite, uh, quite a bio. You, okay, you're an, a novelist known mainly for science fiction and fantasy work. Also a film director, a writer of comics, animation, short stories, children's books, and nonfiction. My good Lord, that's a lot of stuff. It's many years and not much social life. <laughs> Who needs a social life? You have a rich inner life, right? <laughs> well, yeah. How, when, did you, when did you publish your, your first work and so, what was it? Uh, my, first, my first work that was published was... Uh, this novel called The Simican Prophecies, which which came out at the end of 2003, I think. I was just out of college. Um, and, you know, that, that book did well, which is why I got ensnared into this typing thing for the rest of my life, I suspect. Uh, <laughs> I'm complaining about this, but of course, you know, it, it was and remains a choice. Um, so it's almost two decades now that I've been kind of, uh, of doing this. And along the way, it's, I mean, I had always wanted to be a writer. Um, I had no idea that I would wind up, you know, working across media and all of that, because really, I mean, 20 years ago, there, there wasn't so much opportunity, especially in India to cross fields, but, you know, mm. times, uh, changed, exciting opportunities came up and, um, you know, and I was always like, oh, I can also do comics. It seems let's do it. I'm, I'm, I, I still have to, uh, properly write a, sh a show and write a video game to, to do a Grand Slam, I think. But we'll get there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, if you were going to write a video game, what kind of video game would it be? Um, I have almost written two video games. One was supposed to be this kind of uh, RPG, uh, but but more, more like an action RPG scroller type thing. And the other was supposed to be this MMORPG, which I, which wasn't a term I, I knew when, uh, until I heard of it, which is, which is a sort mm. of a World of Warcraft scale, um, Indian right. mythology based things. But both of those projects vanished. I was at the time, uh, no stranger to large projects vanishing. Um, which is why I've been writing books throughout because it's like you start a book, you finish a book, the book exists, but 
anything else, you never know until it's released that you're actually working on it. And, and I feel like, okay, we might as well just get into this topic, you know, what it's like to write across multiple media. Uh, isn't that kind of just how it goes where when you're uh, when it's a book and there are some authors for whom this is not quite the case but for most authors it's a solitary pursuit yeah you've got an editor yes you have you know you have an agent you have people who are, are helping you working with you but for the most part you're you're coming up with the concepts you're writing it down you're outlining things you're actually sitting at the well i was about to say typewriter uh maybe you know maybe that's just my my nostalgic brain hoping for a typewriter. Um, but you sit, you're the one who has to do it when it comes to something like video games or even a comic book or uh, a show, like you're talking about a TV or, or, or movie. Um, it, there's, there's a whole cast of people who have to make that thing happen. It's not just up to you, right? Is, is that, do you find that frustrating or do you enjoy kind of that teamwork aspect when you're working on those other types of projects? Yeah, I think, I mean, you've, you've summed it up. You've summed up my answer almost entirely in your question. So I will attempt to kind of <laughs> build, build little things around it. Um, well, I, I think it, it's two sliders, really. One is control and one is collaboration, right? So um, before I started writing books, I was doing a lot of theater in, in school and college and, you know, directing plays and so on and writing them. Um, and so I found that it was so, so, you know, when you're, when you're very young, the challenges of, of collaboration and creative control are, it, it, it's a good time to do it because you get to sort out and, you know, sort out your feelings about, you know, conflict in collaboration and also how, mm. how controlling you need to be about, about anything that you're trying to build. And you also get to experience, um, what you enjoy about the process. So what what works for me really with books is exactly what you said. It, it's that you can execute it pretty much by yourself, or at least you can execute a first draft by yourself. Then after that, of course, you have to engage with um, editors who will improve your book. You have to engage with various aspects of publishing. Uh, but by and large, though, um, unless it's a pre-commissioned book or, or it's a specific book that someone's asked you to write, and I haven't really done any of those as books... Uh, as purely books as yet. Um, the lovely thing about books is that you get to start and finish it um, on your own and you get to be in charge of, of the, the voice, everything in the book. So you're basically, mm. in terms of purely executing an idea, you're executing pretty much every aspect that a large crew would be doing for a film or a video game or other more complicated projects. Um, but it is a very lonely process. And if you're someone who enjoys collaborating with other people, then it, then it is actively nice to... Uh, get into the pit, um, argue it out with everyone else who's, uh, you know, who, who, who wants to shape how the project is going. And um, especially, you know, for a film, there's, there's over a hundred people at any point of time who have a point of view on what's happening, but who actively want to make it better. So if you're right. in a collaborative project, it's very nice to, I mean, you get a sense over time of, you know, who you're working with, who's able to make the overall idea, the overall story more than the sum of its parts. And sometimes you come across people who are making it less. So it's a question of, you know, how much, how much choice do you have to work with the former group of people and avoid the latter group of people? Because it can be frustrating, especially, you know, when the more corporate aspects of uh, storytelling, which, which uh, overshadow our modern era of storytelling so much, um, when it becomes committee decision-making, when it becomes, um, you know, 
endless chain emails and meetings every other day with people who don't really know what the project is that really makes you yearn to go back to writing a book so what i try <laughs> to do is my my magic formula really is that i will write books until i'm feeling really alone in the universe then i will do some massively collaborative project until i get tired of people <laughs> um yeah. so it makes sense so i yeah so i just bounce back and forth among them to make sure that i'm not completely losing my mind at any point of time do you because they're all lovely do you consider yourself to be an outgoing person uh, because i think a lot of people who aspire to be a writer would say oh you know i i love the solitary pursuit i love sitting by myself i'm an introvert all that do you uh, where where do you put yourself in that camp You know I used to think I was an absolute introvert mm. but that was uh, just because I didn't have a lot of friends at that point so um I find that I can I can balance it out in the sense I don't see myself as an extrovert but I really like people um but I also get go. tired of them but I also get really tired of them if I'm overexposed to them for a while so uh, I think overall I'm an extrovert when it's people I like Yeah, no, I think I I'm sure there are a lot of people who can sympathize with that particular sentiment. Um so if there are people listening, young people who you know, maybe they're in high school or college and they're thinking, you know, I I think a career in writing would be for me. Would it from what you were saying a, a few minutes ago, would your advice then be when you're young, uh try your hand at a few different things and see what what you actually like you know the books are wonderful but that's not the only way to go as a writer is that fair to say um you know i think if if the last two decades have taught me anything is it's that there is no one true path to anything right like mm. there's there's no one true way to tell a story there is no advice whether it's career advice or creative advice there's no advice that applies universally um so um I think I think for any creator or storyteller or anyone doing anything vaguely creative the 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 central challenge if anything is to find out what your voice is and to find out what you enjoy right mm. so because especially when you're young you have a lot of people and a lot of non people media um telling you this is the best thing um and what what that specific thing is what your <clears throat> taste in in music or books or any any form of art is is defined largely by the social circumstances that you're growing up in um then over time you you know you start expanding a bit you start finding things that maybe your friends aren't into you find that you really enjoy uh working with those things or just experiencing those as a reader or listener mm -hmm. or viewer um and then over time you you find this strange collection of data points which tell you that I enjoy this and this and I don't necessarily feel the same way about this branch of literature or music or anything as I did uh, in my youth. So if I if I had to give some, you know, applicable but ambiguous advice, I would say <laughs> just, you know, um instead of starting out with a set of values which tell you uh this is this is good and this is what I should like and this is what I should do you you need that to get started on anything but as you go just to be observant and responsive to how you're feeling about any situation you're in mm -hmm. how you're feeling about you know any advice you're given any feedback you're given sometimes it's just that you're in the wrong field sometimes it should the answer lies in 
stepping out and trying something else and so on but also really keeping a close eye on what it is that you want to do because yeah. there are so many people who you know so in india for example um writing books used to be something that uh, only the extreme elite could do because it just wasn't a financially rewarding thing so it was something that you did uh, that that people from very you know upper class families uh, did as a sort of image booster or a, or a name spreader and so on so it was it was only because i was growing up in a time where the country at that point was changing rapidly it was opening up the world a little bit the economy was was booming at that point everyone was under this misapprehension that we were going to be some kind of global superpower you know just 3 years from now so it became possible for a set of people to have careers doing things like writing books um who in previous generations that would not have been possible so things keep changing all the time the last few years have shown us that most of the assumptions we'd made about the world were questionable to say the least right like yeah. would humankind come together in the face of a collective emergency and do sensible and sharp things to solve <laughs> it no they wouldn't right so <laughs> So I think we've I think no one's uh a- anyone who's who's lived through the last uh, four or five years maybe the last decade has had more opportunities for wake up calls pushed into their face I think than any other generation apart from people who were actually living through wars of course right uh, let's right. let's not yeah um but but yeah things are going to keep changing new new media are going to keep emerging so. I think it's important to find that balance of holding on to what you know you like and keeping yourself open to new tastes and new influences and new ways to go. Yeah, I I often think of um of open doors and closed doors uh and they you know if you you have, you just have to understand if you take one path you may be closing some doors but that's okay look for the ones that open up. Um yeah. and and you like you said you never know what path you're going to end up going down it you know life can meander sometimes anyway i feel like we're getting off topic here uh let's get back to uh to writing for various various media and in fact i want to take it a different slightly different direction and say uh keeping within books you've written science fiction you've written fantasy you've written for adults uh you've written for young adults and children right um yeah let let me ask you this as somebody who has written across all those age ranges and longtime listeners will know this is a, a a pet theory of mine but i want to run it by you because you're actually in the trenches you're actually doing the work right um my theory is that with with uh great art what in whatever form you know i'm right now we're talking about books so i guess we'll stick with books but with with great art there may be an age floor meaning you know you, it's probably not appropriate for somebody under this age but there is no age ceiling so great art should be if if it is truly great it can be appreciated until your dying day you know i, I there are children's books that I grew up with that I don't remember anymore. But there are always those those 3 or 4 or 5 stories that as a society we kind of latch on to these children's books and you read it to your grandkids when you're 70 years old and you go, "Oh my gosh, I'm learning some lessons out of this." Does that does that make any sense to you? No, I think that's absolutely correct. Um I I think that what, you know, the 
Um, I don't want to take any extra credit of any kind for you know writing across a do it, large do it. range Just of take, things. Take all yeah, the credit. Yeah, it, it was it was me. I will collect the things. Um, <laughs> but but um, what you know. I think what you what you what you the the theory you just described sums it up very accurately because um, while it is while some stories you should not be exposed to until you're mature enough to understand them um, there there are so many stories which I you know you can classify them as children's books or YA books or you know SF or fantasy or any of the other hundreds of thousands of categorizations that you have but they're just stories that work and they're stories that that people who like good stories would enjoy, um, and this kind of this kind of uh, potential loss through division and categorization is something that I think that um, we're already in this century, you know, doing new ways of of interpreting taste algorithms uh, that are crossing the boundaries of genre and medium. Um, the way that we are consuming media is changing rapidly, right? Like. Uh, I, I find, for example, that I'm, I'm, I have to spend so much time just catching up on shows and movies that are must see TV, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Um, that by the time I, I get to my must read book pile, um, and, and with, with so much being produced in every medium all the time, um, everywhere in the world, the idea of, of staying on top of what's going on in any specific field, it, it's, it's impossible. Um, yeah your 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 to read and to see lists are just going all over the place so um so i think what what uh, i'm further i'm further kind of the, another difficulty level for me is that for example it's location right like as an indian writer a lot of a lot of times what happens is that i know that i could uh, sell much easier in the west or sell much more in the west if i do a kind of explaining india book hmm, or if yeah. i do a kind of um, my role in the reader's life is uh, the guide. I will, I will demonstrate. I'm the tourist guide to mm. this wonderful exotic land. Um, <laughs> right. So you know, wriggling, wriggling past these these uh, these hurdles becomes a challenge, which you which you get to see more of as you spend more time doing it. But I also didn't grow up with any understanding of genre, in the sense that. Uh, Indian bookstores were not were not neatly structured by this is fantasy, this is sci-fi, this is horror, this is what it is. It was one um, kind of huddle of books, and there would be this wizard-like elderly man who would take a look at you as you entered the store and say <laughs> that one. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, <laughs> and he and he was the equivalent of the. Uh, people who read this book also read these mm -hmm. books algorithms that you see on any selling site nowadays. So it was really only after I'd written my first book that I that I learned that say fantasy publishing is a whole other thing from um, say literary fiction publishing because right. I just didn't know anything about publishing when I was writing it, which was my mistake. No one else's. Um, but even now, um, a lot of the work I enjoy is completely independent from what age group it's targeted at, mm. what genre it's supposed to be. Um, and I like that. It, it's fun consuming and creating across fields. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, I agree with what I think you're saying. <laughs> so you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm being but, uh, vague too, but which helps. That's right. No, <laughs> I, I think there is, um, there is value in sorting things into genres, but only up to a certain extent. And I, I think we've gone way past the the line. You know, we I think we over classify things. Well, this is uh, 
This is a, I, I don't know, South African science fiction near future uh, quasi dystopian uh, young adult novel. And it's like, all right, just 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 tell me it's yeah. you know just tell me it's a sci-fi novel i don't know <laughs> uh, no and 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 you know it, it's wonderful when it's wonderful when these descriptors are used in a way that gets people um you know that are inclusive and i don't mean inclusive in the kind of diversity right, open-minded right. sense i mean that i mean that if i say that a book is science fiction for example um then there are some people who will light up because i love science fiction and that's great uh, because it, it's like a shortcut to uh, to a taste algorithm. But when it comes to, oh, I don't read science fiction. Um, therefore, even though a work can be described in 17 other ways, which I might like, mm. but I immediately, that's a canceler for me. I will close this tab and move on with my life. Understandable on a time management point of view, but it's difficult with, with the genre specifically because uh, it, it just... Uh, seals people off if they decide only to read one within one particular uh, category and nothing else. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, like I say, doors, open doors, closed doors. But you know, yeah, only yeah. only closed doors in your life reluctantly, right? That's that's my that's my philosophy. Uh, okay, so now that we're talking about genres, I feel like this is a pretty good segue. So, Samit, you you're a pro. Thank you for the excellent segue into dystopian <laughs> fiction because that is uh with with the latest book that you just came out with the city inside and i think we'll talk about that um a little bit uh, as we go but you do you do you feel like you specialize in dystopian fiction or is this something new for you um i have a confession to make which is that while i was writing this book i did not know that it was dystopian fiction <laughs> at all um yeah. so <laughs> So, so, the, so I think that that neatly answers. I do not specialize mm. in dystopian fiction because sh had I specialized in dystopian fiction, I would have known that this was one. Um, so, um, no. So, um, I think what happened here was that I was trying to write a near future science fiction book that was set in my part of the world. Mm -hmm. And what then happened was that I actually spent a few years researching the the near future and you know applying near future research theories etc from elsewhere in the world to how they would play out in my part of the world and what you know when someone who's not really exposed to the news from my part of the world or is not really tracking it when someone reads a book that i think is realistic but fundamentally optimistic um but the when when the standard bar for reality setting is is new as well and conditions in that place are very harsh then i completely understand why it would seem dystopian to someone yeah. who's being exposed to all of this for the first time um so i thought of this book as something that was it's not a term that will stick but the term i actually would have used for it is anti-dystopian interesting um, okay explain um, but um well in the sense that I think dystopia is a function of distance, right? So, for example, if you're looking at a lot of the classic uh, dystopian works, and, and I, I, I think the ones that, that are most identifiable are, say, 1984 sure. or uh, The Handmaid's Tale mm -hmm. and, and those things, uh, part of the joy of reading a dystopian work is that inner knowledge that, oh, this is horrible, but it could never, it's not going to happen to us. It 
could happen to us if the settings of the world were changed. But this is something that's happening far away in a fictional thing. I know this is horrible. I feel empathy for the characters, but I am safe from it. Mm. Right? That's the reader's experience when you're reading dystopian fiction. Whereas what I'm trying to do is describe the world that I'm actually living in in the present with a slight uh, dial it up to 11 to account for a few years in the future. So if your if your fundamental uh, if your fundamental relationship with the world is one of kind of spectatorhood, um, only then can you experience that the the feeling that that dystopian fiction really tries to give you. Yeah, you know, which is imagine how horrible it would be if these things were happening where you live. Uh, if you don't really have to imagine that, but you're just trying to look for a way to cope with certain difficult uh, surroundings that you're in, then I think there's a fundamental difference there. The, there are two other reasons why I would call this work anti-dystopian. One is that it is searching for hope throughout, you know, which I think... It, uh, it doesn't think, end with a, I, a boot stamping on a face forever. Mm. Uh, no, it does not. And that's not a spoiler. I mean, <laughs> so, so, you know, so it's, it's, so I, I honestly, and this sounds silly when I say it, and if you read the book, you'll see why it sounds silly. Um, I thought of this as a pragmatic, but fundamentally optimistic office comedy with drama slices, right? So okay. when every review said this was an interesting dystopian book, um, like I have probably spent too much time in research and mired myself into these very harsh uh, potential realities so much that I now think of these as normal, which means that <laughs> yeah. somewhere in yeah. this apartment there is a tinfoil hat which I have clearly been wearing for a while without. Really <laughs> don't don't worry. For those of you, it. for those of you just listening, instead of watching us on YouTube, he took off the tinfoil hat before he started talking about this stuff. So it's okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry, go on. Yeah, so, um, so you know, when I'm reading dystopian books, I'm, first of all, it's a lot. Every dystopian book is a lot. And if the point of the book is, um, you know, this kind of, I will give you some really harsh imagery to jolt you out of the stagnant comfort of your life. I'm, I usually lose interest about halfway mm. through because it's like, you're giving me nothing. Give me, tell me why these characters want to go on. Tell me how they're changing. Tell me why, why they're meaningful to me instead of giving me bleak stuff. Because if I want to just, if I want to experience bleakness and I don't want to experience bleakness first of all, but had I wanted to, I could just have read a history book. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there's you know, plenty of bleakness so, there. Um, yeah, so 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 no, I'm not really an expert in dystopia. But again, having having seen the yeah. responses to it, and when I was when I was uh, reading it, when I was reading it for edits and so on, I get it. I mean, it completely ticks all the boxes that you need for. I mean, it's an oppressive government. It's a surveillance society. There are really. Uh, I mean, I I really tried to keep violence, physical violence, visceral violence, um, kind of you know really uh, we will add value through to this book with a lot of trauma mm. um i i kept that up yeah. uh, because i you know I, I i didn't want that to be the the defining memory or defining feature of the book so yeah but i completely failed at my uh, this is not a dystopia so well you, you said something earlier that i thought was really interesting uh that i kind of wanted to dig into which is that um sure. that readers from a certain background or geography or time you know, might not 
see or they, or they they may be more inclined to see this as a dystopian work versus you know if you're saying hey this is the the world that i live in or at least it's the world as i see it um you know i, I don't necessarily see it as dystopian I, i'm curious if we can get into any specifics uh of wh what you mean by that you know in your book specifically or maybe in any others um wh what is what are some of the features that uh, some some people might say oh my gosh that's horrific and somebody else might say yeah that's life does that make sense? Um, I think, absolutely. I think one uh, one fundamental feature is the sense that um, this is not a world that can be saved through heroic actions. Um, you know, because I think if it's fundamentally ingrained in, in a reader that um, your protagonists through personal change and, you know, effort and talent, etc., um, can push forward or, or or do a, or do some kind of revolutionary act or do some kind of heroic act and um because the world fundamentally is a sane and logical place things will fall into place mm. or things will get transformed in, into a way where everything is fixed it's like um, it's like so many so many uh, say a lot of dystopian ya for example ends with a revolution right you know you bring the, down the hunger games would be a you great bring down the bad guys of that yeah, yeah, you bring down the bad guys and the system is self-correcting, right? And and that that is a very charming faith in the institutions that govern the place mm. that you live in. You know, the idea that yes, these are these are bad people, they definitely need to be taken down. But the idea that the next lot of people will be better. It's a you know, that is fundamentally optimistic, but in a lot of the world it, you know, people know that so for example, you know, Especially when you're talking about science fiction, technology, for instance, right? There is there is the sense of if you're a smarter hacker or if you invent something, then through heroic agency you can change the world or fix the world, right? But if you're in a society like the one I live in, you know that technology is used as much or as an instrument of exclusion, of control, of you know just measuring things about you um, as it is of convenience or ease right. or world transformation. So. You know, so that's one example. The other is political change. Um, let's say you're in a hypothetical country that has a hypothetical evil regime um, sure. governing it, okay. right? Um, you need to be able to trust the revolution. You need to be able to believe in, um, you know, the, the, the opposition, so right. to speak, um, as you build your revolution and if you can't do that then where are it's, you yeah i so, mean we could, so we could the, go to, yeah. in, in real world terms we could talk about the french revolution and it's uh, okay great you got rid of the yeah. king now bring on the jacobins <laughs> okay great you know reign of terror yeah uh, yeah fantastic yeah there you go <laughs> so it's so you know so when you so um so when all of that, when the idea that, yes, the people currently running things are terrible, but we don't know who's better. And so you're always kind of bouncing between a, which is the lesser evil here? I'm going to support that, um, you know, policy. So, so in, so that kind of fundamental lack of faith in a logical universe where institutions fundamentally work, mm. right? That's something that, that you don't experience if you are in a situation in your life when there is a fundamental order to the right. universe 
you know and bad things where they happen are dis- are disturbances to that order but you have a fundamental faith that this can be correct so right? oh no go on so, go on yeah no, 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 Gohan. I mean, I, I don't want to ramble. Oh, that's on these yeah, that's just... the, the nice thing is uh, I'm the host and you're the guest, so I can let you ramble as long as I want. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. No, I, uh, I was curious. You described yourself as optimistic and your book as uh, as fundamentally optimistic, but I have to admit the way you're talking doesn't sound very optimistic. You know, there there isn't an order. You can't count on you know the the system self-correcting or people doing the right thing um you know the the world is chaotic and all these things uh so it doesn't sound optimistic what but what does optimism mean to you in this context of of your book or or even just your worldview yeah well for me optimism is is believing that if if someone has a very bleak worldview for example um, that the imposition of that bleak worldview is deliberate as well, right? So if you have, um, if in a, in a world, whether the present one or the future one, um, you are deliberately being fed the idea that there is no hope hmm. possible, that this is just the way things are and this is the way things will always be. Um, there's been no shortage of oppressive regimes in the history of the world, anywhere in the world, where normal becomes a situation where you think that this is how it's going to be until the end of time. Um, but every evil empire has also fallen. Um, and, you know, so for me, optimism is even when the world around you is trying to convince you that fundamental change is not possible, that uh, that a world where things work, work is not possible. Um, even there, this has happened before, it will happen again, but there are always people who will get you through this. And there are always people who, even in the middle of all this horrible harshness and bleakness and terror, um, are finding ways to work together with other people to not only find within themselves the strength to overcome this impression, but also make the world better in some ways for whoever Mm. they can. Expecting them to save the world is unreasonable, but expecting them to save a few people and you know work through various ways to make systems better is something that we should all hope for and strive mm. towards. And so that that for me is optimism, uh, and that's really what the book is about. The book is about people who, in in situations where it seems like um, they're never going to be able to fix the world in any way, find ways to cope with both the kind of regimes of propaganda and surveillance that they are under and ways to really think about and work towards fixing whatever they can, even if they can't change everything, Yeah, you know, which I think is, is, it's a, we, I I think that is pretty, we we have a tendency, I think, um, in our social media age to, uh, wildly expand our perceived sphere of influence, you know, and say, if I'm not changing the world, then I'm not, you know, quote unquote, doing the work, you know, or, or however people want to talk about it. Um, and and while it's not that those things aren't important, it's not that you shouldn't care what's going on in the world or anything like that. But, but contracting that, that perceived sphere of influence and saying, you know what, I, I can be a good person to myself, uh, to my family, to my neighbors, to my community, my city, whatever, you know, and, and just understanding that you, uh, what, you know, if an opportunity comes along to a- affect larger change, great. 
But for most of us, most of the time, it's going to be much more localized, much more um, uh, even sometimes internal, right? Yeah, and it depends entirely on how much privilege mm. you have, how much access you have, how much ability you have to change whatever it is that you can change. So it's completely unfair to find some, you know, random young student, for example, and say, why haven't you fixed everything? <laughs> You know, but, 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 but in a way that, that is, that is a message oh, that goes out. Like you, you yeah. are not, you know, um, so it's, it's, so it's that thing. So it's, so I'm picturing a near future where for someone, um, you know, who is not, who is not fighting on a survival day to day basis, but who is stuck in the, in the routine of a job, um, of a circle of friends, just having what one, what, you know, what you'd call a comfortable life. Some people would call a privileged life. Others would call a mid-level life um so it's it's really it's really a book about those people learning to overcome both the surveillance that, that they're under and the distraction and propaganda that they're always subjected to and to find out who they are and what they can do because and not just in a i'm feeling very guilty because i'm not right. doing enough way but taking that to step two and saying but what I can i it. do what what abilities do i have what influence do i have for me, in my particular situation, how can I make the world better? Because I want to, and I do. Yeah, I love that. It, it's uh, so it, it, the antidote to despair, right? Oh, you know, I, I, I can't yeah, fix yeah. everything, so all is lost. All is not lost, right? So, um, yeah. What can I fix? I, I love it. I love out. it. Okay, so, uh, Summit, let's wrap this up. The book is the city inside. Um, and we've, we've talked about, uh, you know, the, the genre that it may or may not sit in. And we, you know, we've kind of talked around it a little bit, but uh, for those who have enjoyed this discussion and, and have had their interest peaked by this, why don't you give us a, a little synopsis or an elevator pitch? What is the book and why should people pick it up? All right. So the city inside is a book set, uh, approximately a decade in the future in Delhi and it's and it follows uh, these two young people um, Joey who is a reality controller uh, that's a producer for the multimedia multi-reality live streams of an influencer um, and influencers in this in this uh, near future are extremely important determinants of not only celebrity culture but also politics uh, propaganda delivery and so on um, so it's a lot of it is set in the workplace of of uh, near future influence. So Joey is is this uh, young woman with her heart absolutely in the right place who is trying to figure out how to what to do uh, to to make the world better in any way she can and cope with the very harsh realities uh, that she's in because she's living in a world where there she's protected by her privilege from being a part of the immense violence that is happening in the mm. shadows uh, around her. And the other and the other main character is this young guy called Rudra, who's a childhood friend of hers, who's from this very privileged family with a very shady business that he's trying to escape from. Um, so as the book proceeds, uh, there's a series of incidents. There's there are scandals, there are mysterious shady figures, there are hidden revolutions. And through and th as they experience these and as the world kind of spins out of their control, they try to find ways to cope with the world they're in and to figure out ways to make it better. And that's there you what go. Awesome. I, that's uh, an intriguing premise, and it had better be because I just ordered my copy. So it'll be here in uh, in just a, a day or two. Um, I'm going to enjoy reading it. So uh, Summit, 
Thank you. Summit, the, uh, the book is The City Inside. I, I hope other people will check it out. And when you do, uh, anybody listening out there, when you grab a copy of The City Inside, um, I want you to tweet that at me or, you know, just send me the email, me the picture of you holding the book or something so I can hashtag legendary moves product or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I want to I, I, I would love to see people uh, reading that book I, I, and I will do the same. Anyway, Summit, thank you so much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed your time. Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Legendarium. And thank you, everyone who watched or heard this. It was just All so right. lovely so, being here. Uh, reminder, go to thelegendarium.com. Uh, sign up for Patreon and Discord and all the things. Check out the past episodes. Um, and let me know what you think of this one. We're, we're doing more of these uh, kind of topical episodes rather than book episodes. And I hope people are enjoying them as much as I do. Uh, I think these are really fantastic. All right. Thanks, everybody. And I will see you next time.